How are we doing this morning, Summit? We have a great high priest whose name is love. That's what we sang. Anyone struggle with those hallelujahs this morning? Hallelujah. A little high. A little high this morning right off the bat. My name is JP, Jonathan Bacluda. It's a privilege and honor to gather with you men this morning. Uh, excited for the psalm that God has us in, in his sovereignty. And I'll start with this, just this idea that different people have different gifts. And so you, a lot of times in ministry, you'll hear this kind of prophet, priest, and king, and um, just the way that plays itself out through our personalities and the way God wired us. Anybody here know uh, John Elmore? Raise your hand if you know John Elmore, okay? Raise your hand if you love John Elmore, okay? It's the same, same people raise their hands, except for you. He owes you money, I know. And so um, the, uh, if you know John, my friend John, one of my closest friends in the world, you, you love him uh, we're in community together, and we kind of have different gifts. God got, wired us in different ways. And so what that looks like is we're going around the table the other day, and, and one guy's struggling to get in the Word, you know? And it's, and it's kind of like, he's like, yeah, you know, I got, got in uh, two or three times last week. And I'm sitting there, and I'm about to come unglued. I'm in my seat, and I'm just like, two or three, like, what are you talking, are you... Are you, you know, this is the narrative. I'm like, my 12-year-old got in the Bible at least five times, you know. I, what, and I'm thinking like threats and bets and, and all of this. And I'm like, okay, I'm about to just unload. And John right about then said, hey, man, two, two times. You did, that's really good, okay. And so let's keep going. And, and I look at John and I'm like, are you, are you, are you serious right now? I'm like, no, no, two times is a F, it's pass or fail. He flunked. It's not good. What he did was not good. I'm not encouraged. And this is the narrative in my head. And kind of took a deep breath. I was like, oh, different gifts, you know. And I, and I said this out loud, you know, in our time, just to kind of, as we get to know each other, I said, you know, different, you know, there's different coaching styles. And uh, my coaching style tends to lend itself to, hey, get your head in the game. What are, you, what are you doing right now? And honestly, that's what I respond to. That's what I need. Sometimes that's what I, I need, a swift kick in the butt, right? And, and my buddy John, you know, people, I see people respond to him a lot. He comes alongside of them and he'll put his arm around them and he say, hey, you're going to take a step and I'm going to take a step. And you're going to take a step and I'm going to take a step. And we're going to get through this together. And I see people respond really, really well to that as, uh, too. I don't know what you need this morning. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you got here and, and it's a challenge. You can't, you know, they, somebody bet you to get in Bible every morning to show up at 630. And you're like, I'm not going to lose that bet. I'm here. Or if your wife made you come with, you know, threats. And I don't know if you need king admonishment this morning or priestly encouragement this morning, but I want you to know you have both in Jesus Christ. That's what the Psalm 110 shows us today. And it's a profound message. It's an incredible reality that Jesus is both the King of Kings and the High Priest once and for all. And so I'm going to dive in. This is Psalm 110. It is the single most referenced uh, Old Testament passage in the New Testament. I mean, 
hands down. Psalm 110, not Psalm 23, not Psalm 91, Psalm 110 right here. It is the first sermon ever preached in the church was from Psalm 110. And you read it and you're like, really at Pentecost, Peter preaches from Psalm 110. There's something profound happening in these seven verses that we have to unlock in just a few minutes. And so we want to look at how Jesus is our high king and how our king of kings and how Jesus is our high priest. This is King David overhearing a conversation. It's prophetic in nature. It's a messianic psalm. He is listening somehow, some way, I don't know, to a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. And he says this, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb, refreshed, ready for battle. You're, it's game on. God just said to my Lord, let's go all of your enemies are going to be your footstool. And so my first point from this text this morning is that Jesus is our king of kings. Jesus is the king of kings. He says this, the Lord said to my Lord. That means nothing in the English. It doesn't translate. In the Hebrew, it's Yahweh or Yehovah said to Adonai. God, creator of the universe, said to the one who I am his servant, I'm his servant. I'm his slave. He's my master. God the Father said to the one whom I will serve with my life. doesn't mean anything to you that David said he's going to serve this guy in one word with his life. But let's just talk about who David is for a second. David is the greatest king Israel's ever had. And, and the reason why David was the greatest king that Israel ever had is because David was a conquering king. David was a kid. David was a man that when he was a child, he killed lions and bears for fun. He is Bad as bad comes. His first act in military battle is he sees a giant that an entire army is afraid of and he kills him with a rock. It says in Chronicles that he slayed 7,000 Syrians in chariots and 40,000 Syrians on feet. It says, can't make this up, that he killed 200 Philistines and collected their foreskins and piled them up right in front of the king. What? I've got a collection of penis parts. What? Who wants to play ball, you know? This dude is bad as bad comes. And he's saying, hey, there's this one that I'm his servant. He couldn't build a temple. There was too much blood on his hands. Let me explain to you what this means to the Jews. Um, it's like, it reminds me of a story from high school. I went to high school with a guy who was a caricature of a guy you went to high school with. Maybe you were him. He was the fastest guy in my school, the best looking guy in my school. He, he was that guy that as a freshman was a grown man and he could 
He was run faster than everybody else, was stronger than everybody else. He was cut up, jacked. All the girls wanted to be with him. All the guys wanted to be him. In your school, he may have been a quarterback. In mine, he was wide receiver. Um, he, was, he was the big man on campus. He was the king. He was the king of the high school. And, um, you know, if he was your friend, you had it made. If you were his enemy, wasn't going to go well for you. He was the king. And, and we'll call him Jason. And then uh, this cousin of another guy who went to my high school moved into town. His name was Brandon. We'll call him Brandon. And Brandon got to school. He showed up. It looked like he had been on steroids for a while. And uh, he was also a grown man there in high school. Uh, he was also very strong, good looking, had a lot of things going his way. And so now we had a problem. There were two kings, right? And so they were going to work this out on the playground to find out who, or, or at the park rather, to find out who was actually king and this story was kind of legendary in my high school it was strange this morning I know but they get in a fist fight and this new guy Brandon wins and and tells Jason I want you to get on your knees and I want you to tell all these people that you're my servant and he did and he did what? Now, why do I tell you that? Because the way that there's a transfer of power, if the guy who is absolutely the guy by all accounts shows up and says, hey, there's this another one, and he's actually the guy. In fact, I'm his servant. People are leaning in and they're listening. That's what David just did. David said, hey, there's this one. I'm his servant. He's my Adonai. He is absolutely the king of kings, without mistakes. He's the one that his enemies are going to be his footstool. I read that. Anybody else think Ottoman? Yeah, I always think Ottoman. Uh, it, it, it actually, in this time, whenever a king would conquer an army, at the end of the battle, the prevailing king would lay down his enemies and put his heel on their throat. And that was to say he made them his footstool. And he's saying, hey, this guy's going to do that with all his enemies in all the land. Let's keep going. We don't have a lot of time. Verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. That's quite the, like, preface, right? What has what he sworn and what's going to come next? There's a colon there. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Okay, what? What have you, what have you okay, what are you going to say here? You are a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Huh. Now, if I was to give a quiz prior to last week, and tell me everything you know about Melchizedek, I'm curious what she would have written down. We don't have a lot of information on this guy. He shows up in Genesis 14, he's on the scene for three verses, and he's gone. He shows up again in Psalm 110 in this Messianic Psalm, and then he shows up again in Hebrews, like, it's almost like a commentary on Melchizedek, Hebrews, it talks about him a lot. Who is this guy? It says that he's this high priest, right? He shows up on the scene. He says that he is a priest of the most high God or God most high. Abraham tithes to him. He's this mysterious character, and he's a, here's what you need to know, a type of Christ. He is a type of Christ, a shadowing of our high priest to come. That's my second point this morning. Jesus is our high priest. 
Jesus is our high priest. And probably I say that and you're like kind of glaze over. Man, I wish I'd have slept in. What does that mean? Okay, no one at this time could be both priest and king. It's too much of a job, two huge jobs for one human being. It couldn't happen. Wherever you have a, a King Herod, you also had a Caiaphas. You, you, those two jobs were in contradictory, they contradicted each other. They, they both couldn't fit in one person unless that person was God. And so here you see this prophetic message that there's one who's going to come who's the king of kings but also our high priest. King Uzziah, in fact, tried to do the priestly duties and God struck him with leprosy saying, no, there is no king that can be a priest and no priest that can be a king. They are two separate orders. And yet we get to the New Testament and it says, therefore, Hebrews 4, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a high priest, who, not in a Le Leviticus 16 way to offer bulls and rams on behalf of our sin, not a high priest who's going to offer a payment for our sin, but a high priest who was the payment for our sin, satisfying an eternal debt as an eternal God once and for all. This is the hardest truth, I think, for men to believe. that you are helpless in getting into heaven. You can't do it. So we don't like when someone buys our meal. We don't like when someone pays our rent. We don't like when, when we need help with the mortgage. We are independent, self-reliant, and God says, you ain't getting in here unless you receive my payment. I know all you did, everything you've done, and it is for my joy to extend mercy to you, to wipe away your sins, to offer my son as a payment for your sins so that you might get in here. This is Easter, right? This is what we celebrate this week. This is what everybody's going to be talking about this weekend. And it's this reality that you can't save yourself, that Jesus saved you by dying on the cross for your sins. I grew up confessing my sins to a priest, and, and I would leave there having said 10 Hail Marys and five Our Fathers uh, and a couple Glory Bees with no assurance of salvation. That means I'd leave there with, at very best, I hope that took and that somehow I prayed every single night as a child, Lord, would you please let me and my family, my family and I in heaven, would you please let us in? When we get there, would you please let us in? And somehow I missed this reality that he had purchased my way in. Done. All my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins went on the cross of Christ, went in the grave, and he came out without them. He left them in there. It's like if I was to give you a ticket to the Cowboys game, assuming for some reason you wanted to go, and you got up there with that ticket, and they were good tickets, 50-yard lines, front row, and they said, you hand them, and they said, why should we let you in? You're not going to begin to talk about, well, because, you know, I'm a good dad and pretty decent husband, 
man, you should see my business. I've done some good things. You're going to say, because I have a ticket. And then if they hypothetically asked you, well, did you buy that ticket? You say, no, it was given to me. It was a gift. Now, that conversation's never going to happen because they're just going to see that you have a ticket and let you in. And the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is the same way. You either have it or you don't. You've been forgiven or you're not. The, the price took or God wasted the death of his son. Period. Verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, keeping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. It's like he's this picture of just like conquering the world and like not even struggling, like stopping for some Gatorade and just keep going. Lastly, I just want to ask you in four minutes we have, is he your Lord? Don't give me a Bible school answer, man. I don't need a church answer this morning. It's too early for a church answer. I'm asking Today, are you going to do all that he asked you to do? That's what it says about David. He was a man after God's heart. And then it says in the New Testament, expounds on that idea. He did everything I asked him to do. Are you going to do everything God asked you to do? Because our king and priest is coming back. He's going to come back. He's, he came as the lamb the first time. He's coming back as the lion and it says every enemy will be crushed, every enemy conquered, every enemy a footstool under his feet. Everyone will be defeated through one of two ways, either condemnation, being damned to hell forever, or conversion, being saved to his team, becoming a part of his army, one of his soldiers. Every person, every man, every knee will bow, either in willing submission and tongue confess, your Lord, or at the end of his scepter. Under his power and might, at the experience of the weight of his glory being crushed for our sins, having to pay for our sins because we did not receive his payment for our sins. That's the truth. There's not an authority against him that will prevail. He will stop for a casual drink and will not grow tired as he defeats everyone that came against him. Awesome. Let me ask you some questions as you go to your small groups. As you display Christ in your life, is it harder to show the world Christ the priest or Christ the king? Meaning, do you, are you more John Elmore? Are you more prophetic king, quick to escalate? Second question, are you Christ's servant? Are you in a place in your life where you're on your knees before the world saying, I'm his servant. He's my king. He's in control of my life. I'll go where he sends me. I'll do what he asks me. This, this is the message that changed my life. Christ was my master. I'd been in church my entire life, but, but came to a place where I said, you're Lord. You, you drive. I don't, I don't want to drive anymore. You drive. And how will you make sure, just we're going to end our time 
with this question. How are you going to make sure that your study of God's word is going to continue with other men? As this wraps up, or do you have enough discipline, enough things going on in your life? I don't know if you need me to put my arm around you right now and say, hey, you take a step and I'll take a step and hey, you can do it. And when tomorrow comes, get in God's word, even without the accountability or the email or knowing that you're going to show up in small group. Or I don't know if you need me to shout at you and say, hey, just do it. Whatever you need. Assume it happened. And just do it. Get in God's word. And encourage other men to do the same. And make sure, if I could leave you with one thing, that you're surrendering your life to Jesus. There's this incredible scene in a movie, Captain Phillips. I don't know if you've seen it. But these Somali pirates take over a ship. Tom Hanks plays the character and he's, and he's there, there's this scene where he's on his knees and his hands are tied. And this Somali pirate has this rusty revolver to his head. And, and Tom Hanks, with his hands tied on his knees in complete surrender, has the audacity to beg the guy to surrender. You don't understand. You don't understand what you're doing. You're not in control. And the guy's like, what do you mean? I have the gun. I have the gun. This is my boat. I'm in control. This is my ship. I have the gun. What are you talking about? He goes, no, you don't understand. I beg you to surrender. This is not going to go well for you. And this guy has the illusion that he's in complete control, holding this rusty revolver to his head. And the scene cuts away to this U.S. military battleship coming in, cutting through the ocean. These Navy SEALs paratrooping in, dropping out of the sky with their sniper rifles. And they land there, and they have him surrendered, surrounded. And he's like, you're not in control. It ain't going to go well for you. That's what David's saying. You might have businesses and companies and bank accounts and people answering to you. And you might have an illusion that things are going well and you're like, surrender to what? To why? Have you seen my house, my car, my family, my friends, my company? Why am I going to surrender? And David's begging you, man. You don't understand. You're not in control. You're a cameo in a long movie on the scene for a second, give your life to Jesus. Would you do that? Give your life to Jesus. Proud of you guys for being here. I want to thank some friends. Let's just wrap up by thanking some friends. One, I want to thank Ryan for leading us in worship. Got... Parkers and greeters and Summit small group leaders who have made this happen. Let's thank those guys who got up earlier than you to serve you this morning. And then I'd love for you to, to jump on your feet for this one. Bobby Crotty, who is leading us every week to make this happen. Bobby Crotty is here. Bobby, where are you? Are you in here? Pointing? Everybody? Uh, there you are, brother. I see you. Thank you, Bobby, just for the way you've led us as men. Hey, is my friend D here, Bobby? He's, my, hey, I've got a friend here. D. Elliott is, is in the back. And D is a man, a man who led the charge for us a long time. He was one of those guys uh, that would have been, had he uh, been, you know, enlisted at this time, cutting through the ocean 
ready to protect our country. He was a man who protected our country in the naval force and uh, has been stricken with a, a terrible disease that he has held hope for in every minute, so, so much so that he's here this morning. Can we thank my friend D. Elliott, one of my heroes, one of my heroes. Father, these guys go to wrap up their time in their small groups. Would you stir their hearts and affections for you? Help them to be amazing husbands. Please, God, help them to be great fathers. Help them to date well. Help them to lead well in business. Father, thank you for your mercy and your love for us. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the king of all kings and our ultimate high priest, our sacrifice once and for all. And so we, we thank you that we can gather as men. Please help us to continue to do so. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'll see you guys in September.